0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola. This week we have an interview with Abdul Malik Mujahid and he's uh, the president of Sound Vision here in Chicago and so uh, we're going to be talking to him. We have this interview we'll play here, we talk about the Muslim ban, uh, ISIS, the Islamic State, we talk about wars in the Middle East, the refugee crisis, uh, here it is.
1: Hi, uh, good to be on your podcast. This is Malik Mujahidah, I'm president of Sound Vision. Sound Vision does uh, public relations for the Muslim community. Uh, uh, We have a daily radio show called Radio Islam. You can get it on RadioIslam.com unless you're in Chicago. It is on 1450 AM. We also develop resources for the Muslim communities. And
0: so you're you're based. You you live in Chicago. So just for people who are are listening, as this goes out to um, and people from uh, all over the world actually listen to this podcast. So uh, I just first start off with the fact that I know your organization has uh, played a role and uh, joined in with other Muslims in pushing back against the way that. The Islamic State um, perverts and distorts the religion of Islam. And uh, so just spend a little time talking about uh, the billboards you put up, but also maybe addressing this one issue, which I think oftentimes there's an unfair burden put on Muslims or Arabs in the United States to be at the front of pushing back against these extremist groups. And and when something terrible happens, you're put in this position and others are put in a position of having to deal with them like you somehow are responsible for the brutality that they're committing. And so I think this is a very important thing that you're doing uh, to confront the ideology of ISIS. But I also you know, wonder how you feel about whether you think the work that you're doing does get a fair enough acknowledgement.
1: Well, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a gimmick which Islamophobes have adopted in America to put Muslim on his part. Uh, Have you condemned it? Have you condemned it today? I mean, condemning terrorism has become a sixth pillar of Islam. We have to do it six times a day. But still, nobody's uh, listening to that uh, because it has been accepted by and large thanks to extraordinary uh, effort by Islamophobes uh, with $200 million hate machine behind that and promoted by billion-dollar operation like uh, Fox, television, and affiliated entities. Uh, So there are some images which has been established. So we thought these images hurt us. I mean, uh, bullying of Muslim children is high. Even 20 percent of those bullying are teachers themselves. So how do we handle this? So we thought of a campaign, a public relation campaign to nail this point for good, uh, which is, uh, you know, hey, ISIS, you suck. It's a billboard, uh, but. Whatever city it has gone up, media has covered it, so our neighbors can recognize that, hey, Muslims do condemn it. Muslims are the number one victims of terrorism, and uh, it is very unfortunate that we are depicted as though we are the one doing it. I mean, 98% of the people who are killed are Muslims. Muslims hate terrorists, and Muslims hate Islamophobes also. And we're in the middle of these. And these both are these, you know, two sides of the same coin. They both distort the same verses uh, of the Quran uh, to abuse our people.
0: Now, uh, let's talk about uh, this Muslim ban that uh, President Donald Trump and his administration has pushed. I, I know that you have been doing some of your own writing Uh, about where things are at currently with the Supreme Court in relation to uh, whether grandparents or even relatives uh, would be able to come in if they had uh, relationships with people who had connections to the United States. Uh, but, But before we get into your views about where that is at... Can you share some – I know that you've written about your experience traveling and, and what sh- uh, you've undergone as someone who you know, regularly goes to different places of the world.
1: Well, uh, even before uh, Trump uh, resumed office, a survey determined that 30 uh, percent of Muslims traveling uh, overseas and coming back are picked up for his, uh, extra scrutiny. Uh, that is a very high number. Uh, so Muslims have been facing these type of things for a while. It was President Clinton who started a law of secret evidence. Now tell me, how can you defend yourself when evidence is secret? But that's a law of the land. At President Obama's time, some Democrats pushed and Democratic Senate and House passed Uh, the law of indefinite detention of U.S. citizens without a trial, for God's sake. How can it be possible? But Obama signed that, of course, writing that my administration will never implement that. So things were not that rosy and good before Trump. Uh, Trump uh, is a smart, uh, clever politician and a businessman Hussard hating Muslims uh, will solidify his base and some people will be more enthusiastic on his side. So he took advantage of that hate. He didn't create that hate himself. Of course, he's multiplied many times. But the sad part is not Trump. Sad part of the Supreme Court of the United States. Islamophobia as a phenomenon existed there has been public policies as i mentioned secret evidence and indefinite detention of us citizens without a trial those were laws lousy laws but they never specify secret evidence is just for muslims or indefinite detention without a trial is designed for muslim it doesn't say that except this particular law which supreme court now has the dubious honor of being co-author and co-owner of it, specifies Muslims and Muslim countries. Intent of the author was clear before they came to office. Intent of the authors were clear in the first ban. And that has been the debate which several federal courts say this is illegal. So it's a very shameful decision on the part of the Supreme Court which is giving a fig leaf uh, to something uh, which is absolutely wrong. I mean, this is not the first time. It is the Supreme Court which allowed uh, the detention of Japanese American. And now that we apologize, we paid them and all that, here we come again. now a Muslim ban, a law of the land uh, in that way. So it is, it is you know, some of the neighbors, oh, well, six countries, people coming from overseas, but it's a principle. It's a principle of re- freedom of religion and our government not legislating for a particular religion or targeting certain people or promoting certain religion. That principle uh, is at a stake. As far as impact is concerned, impact is far away beyond those six countries. 120 physicians from Pakistan have uh, uh, worked here in America, and they were denied visa. A a robotic uh, team of girls from Afghanistan wants to come and compete. They're denied visa. American Muslims uh, right now have difficulty traveling. Uh, Their right of travel is substantially checked. Um, and uh, if within the United States, uh, forget about going overseas and coming back. Traveling within the United States, people have difficulty. I mean, just a, very, a, a leading attorney working for a major American uh, consultancy firm, uh, who is my Facebook friend, he put it there that how now it is impossible for him to travel. He has to take each time, and he, now he is psa tree approved. He has global entry, which has government programs to check people so they can travel easily. He has all of that. But still, each time he goes to the airport, even to hop on from, say, Midway to, uh, say, Dallas, uh, for example, agent has to call TSA to approve this guy to have the boarding pass. What nonsense is that? The, boy, the guy is born and raised here. He's traveling within the United States. He works for a major uh, consultancy firm uh, and a lawyer himself. I mean, this is a common thing. I mean, who, what else but son of Muhammad Ali, the boxer. He's detained twice. He's, he, he doesn't know any country other than America. So there is a huge impact of this, uh, you know, travel ban on the Muslim community, not just for those six countries. Uh, Yeah. And I
0: I appreciate the context that you're bringing here because uh, Donald Trump didn't just walk into uh, a country that has a government with some structure that could be turned and even more sharply directed at Arabs or Muslim Americans here. In the United States. I mean, essentially, it's been very difficult, if not impossible, to get yourself removed from these no-fly lists or these watch lists that are in the country before the Muslim ban. And so um, I just can you specifically recount it's not the worst experience that anyone has ever gone through, but just your experience traveling. I know you wrote about coming back from a trip from Melbourne and how uh, you had to be taken aside and they were questioning you about uh, material you had in your possession.
1: Well, it was uh, very ironic uh, that uh, I was there in Australia for the Parliament of the World's Religions, and I was chair-elect. So here are people who are trying to bring humanity together of different faith communities. And uh, when the guy just uh, uh, picked me up, uh, you know, I was just standing in the line. He suddenly closed the line and asked me to come with him. And uh, I had just a small uh, traveling bag, uh, not uh, huge suitcases. He opened it up uh, in the big bench. He put every piece uh, on display and keep asking me questions about the content of it. And uh, then he brought other people and then other people and other people, five, six officers, wasting about an hour trying to do well. And the questions were so silly. I sometimes wonder, what is the IQ level of the people who are trying to stop any attacks on our soil? I think uh, there need to be certain standards, because the questions they were asking were outright silly. Uh, if not outrageous, uh, questions like um, pointing out to uh, a Lutheran clean shaved guy, uh, 20 years older than me, who was the chair of the Parliament of the World Religion. His photo is printed in the program book, and they were quite curious if he's a Muslim or not. Well, why, 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 suppose he's a Muslim, then what? But they're interested in that. There was a gift given to me, a beautiful gift of, uh, you know, a large photo, coffee table book, uh, good photos of the Sikh faith communities. And uh, and they have tons of questions about that. But then I have some notes by hand and type notes. These were the lectures I gave at the Parliament of the World's Religions. And they were quite interested who wrote this. I said I wrote that. They said, "No, no, no. Who who, who wrote that?" I said, "I just told you I wrote that." So, so, uh, so, so that's uh, very strange stuff that I'm telling them I wrote them, uh, wrote my notes, and these are notes from my lecture. But they they were unsure about that. They say, is, "Is Prophet Muhammad wrote those things?" Because there was a reference of Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. I mean, it was just, just silly, big wastage of time. And uh, uh, finally, I realized uh, that, you know, I need to save their time and my time. And uh, instead of just saying, no, this is not a Muslim but Sikh, I just limited my uh, answers to, yes, he's not Muslim, he's not Muslim, he's not Muslim, he's not Muslim. So the main thing on trial was being a Muslim. And so in order to uh, deal with this,
0: not only do we need to challenge Donald Trump's uh, and, and, and everybody else who is, is promoting this sort of phobia, uh, but it does seem that... Uh, could, can you talk about what you might be doing in your work um, around this uh, very real and uh, terrible, terribly tragic massive refugee crisis that we have in the world? Uh, because a lot of... What is happening here uh, that Donald Trump's responding to is this is his way of handling the refugee crisis. He's saying, keep everybody out.
1: Well, uh, Cato Institute, which is uh, not a liberal or democratic uh, party supported institution, Uh, Carter Institute says in the last 40 years, not a single refugee from any country in the world has killed anybody in the United States. So not these six countries, but 57 other Muslim countries. No, not only that, but all the 200 countries in the world or whatever is the current number, no refugees in the last 40 years has ever killed anybody in the United States. So the whole notion is responding to the Islamophobic fervor he built up, and he need to give them something like, okay, I did this, so he's doing that. And it is very unfortunate the Supreme Court is stamping uh, all of that. So this solution is wrong. Now, 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 But we need to also talk about the bigger thing. Uh, who is producing these refugees? Where these refugees are coming from? Who is bombing them? Why they are bombing them? There were no suicide bombing in the Muslim world until America... Uh, uh, bombed Iraq and occupied it none I mean there are whole statistics available on the website so war, terrorism and dehumanization of people uh, which is Islamophobia and anti-Semitism they're all connected phenomena so it's a cycle war, terror, hate which one came first we, we can argue about that but it's connected phenomena. You can't eliminate terrorism without eliminating uh, warfare, and you cannot terrorist and war are not successful unless they dehumanize people. So, what is dehumanization of Muslim is going on is because people have bought into the fear industry uh, of that. Muslim actually in America are more peaceful than uh, Christians in America. Uh, I I saw a survey. And I became worried because survey said that 23 percent, if I remember my numbers right, it is around 23, 25, something like that. Percent of Muslim Americans think it is okay to kill uh, civilians in in some situation. I said, oh, my God, what in the world is that? So before I do uh, too much worrying, I said, okay, let me read the whole survey. So it turned out double the number of Christians believe it is okay to kill civilians sometimes, more than 50%. So Muslim actually are more peaceful in this society than that. And FBI data, if you look mass shooting in America, you see its whole map of hundreds of cases of mass shooting. You can attribute two or three mass shooting to some Muslim perpet- uh, Muslim person. And uh, in that case, nobody mentioned that he was taking a depression medicine or has mental health issue. They just say, okay, Islam is the problem. Look into the Quran. Hey, look into the Bible also at the same time. Somebody ran Bible and Quran both into computer to look which one is kinder, gentler and nicer and more merciful. And they found it is the Quran. And I didn't do that. Some Christian dude did that Right
0: there's um dozens upon dozens of uh paramilitary groups with ranks of people who openly are um Christian and have what we'd consider extreme ideology um defined by that uh so uh what
1: what I, w- I would say that it, it is not just uh, Christian groups uh, who are extreme right uh, but also atheist, some liberal, some atheists have a name uh, in being Islamophobic. Uh, at the same time, it's not all Christians. I mean, the guy who went around uh, anti-Muslim laws presenting state by state in 36 states, he presented, got it passed from 10 states. He's not a Christian. He's actually a Jewish orthodox guy. Uh, So so there are, I think, all communities need to look into themselves. Uh, My invitation to Muslim community uh, has been the same, that we, in response to hate, uh, learn to respond in something better as God has commanded us instead of responding in terms of hate. Similarly, the Jewish community need to look why so many of Jewish uh, people are Islamophobes. And Forward magazine, which is a Jewish magazine, has couple of, written a couple of articles. But mainstream Jewish community, not just the liberal forward, need to challenge that. Similarly, Christian need to challenge that. I think uh, all faith communities or non-faith communities live in the same environment, uh, which is giving growth to hate, fear, and anger. And all of us need to be cautious in checking that.
0: So let me ask you: um, Since you know we need people who can uh, transform politics and and beat this sort of agenda and these policies back that promote hate, uh, what what you think the role should be of of Democrats in this situation? Um, and and how how maybe you think they might go beyond simply because because I. Feel like having observed recent um, campaigns that, uh, and, and this probably isn't a new thing for the community, but there are many Democratic politicians that, that run that want to, who, who act like they would like to do something, but really are just out to get a photo at a mosque with people for their campaign, and then when their election campaign's over, you don't hear from them again.
1: I think whether it's Democrats or uh, Republican or Independent, they all need an active uh, citizen and uh, uh, who not only uh, vote more than just 50% of America, but also uh, remain active. I think this election has uniqueness in there that more people have been... uh, Active even after elections, in different engagement and protest and organizing. So I think organizing, protest, resistance, and questioning and challenging liberal Islamophobes as well, along with the uh, conservative Islamophobes. And then uh, instead of just thinking that the Democrats uh, are the safe ground, I just gave you an example: secret evidence law and the indefinite detention law, both were from the democratic houses signed by democratic presidents. And so, so I don't think it's a political difference here. It's the whole worldview that we got to have some enemy in the world. So if no longer the Soviet Union, let's make Muslim an enemy, and uh, they have been successful in that. Now, of course, uh, somebody is working on China to make them enemy, and somebody is using Russia all the time, uh, it seems. uh, uh, But when they're talking Russia, 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 in a stealth way, resident Islamophobes in the White House are uh, passing different uh, memos and whatnot, which is going around uh, attacking Muslim communities. It's not just the travel, which is a problem right now. Muslim businesses are having uh, problems. Muslim exporters are having a problem. Uh, Muslims, uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, doing a financial transaction through a bank or a PayPal, PayPal especially, Uh, They're having a problem. Uh, So how it is happening? I think the resident Islamophobes, like some Millers and Bannon, who are sitting in the White House, realize that, well, it's a good cover. People are focused on uh, either the tweet of Trump or on the uh, Russia uh, investigation, and they keep doing their dirty job under the ground. That's an important point to make, and and yes, um,
0: all politicians are involved in perpetuating this. So, why don't we conclude on something that seems to have given you a bit of hope? Uh, could could you uh, tell people who Abdul El Sayed, uh, who's running for uh, the for, for governor in Michigan, is and and why you've been openly supporting him? Well, uh,
1: uh, you know. Uh, Islamophobia, of course, is connected with war and terrorism, but a, a you know, looking uh, reflectively internally in the Muslim community, it's also connected that Muslims in America have gone for the material aspect of American dream and they have not realized their duties as a citizen, as a good neighbor to work in coalitions, work on intersectionality or, or common issues or the common cause and also work on their political empowerment. So here's the guy, 31 year old, an achiever. I'm an achiever in sports, achiever in academics, a road scholar, a physician, and a PhD, and he did all of that in 31 years. And it's amazing, uh, amazing uh, success. So when he approached me, I said, who is this guy? And then I said, well, that's extraordinary. That's purely American. I mean, this is the type of America which we should welcome. And that's why I thought I should personally donate to him and I then double after listening to him in person I doubled my donation and then I contributed yesterday again and invited other people to do. So political empowerment uh, is important for the Muslim community to participate. Uh, Second thing, intersectionality of issues. There are people who are standing for us. I mean, I'm very hopeful for American democracy that maybe Trump has given us a chance to engage more people in the political process and next election will prove how many, you know, if if we achieve a higher level of uh, voting people or, uh, or not. Because people who showed up uh, on the women marches, people who showed up uh, against the Muslim ban on the airport, those are the people who give me hope that Our country, our nation has life. It is looking for people who want to uh, liberate themselves from the traditional uh, organizational uh, and political mode. Think out of box and willing to do something different. That's what Bernie Sanders and Trump is all about. Something different. Good or bad is a separate story.
0: Thank you. Malik, for uh, taking the time to do this interview with me, I really appreciate it.
1: Take care, Kevin, and send me a link once uh, you're through loading it. All right, thank you. Take care. Take Bye. Care. Bye.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the discussion portion of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, and we have a huge surprise. I've managed to locate and bring Ronnie Callic, our co-host, back to our show to do an episode this week.
2: I'm here, guys. Kevin found me. Uh, thanks, Kevin. I was lost. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what's up? But no, uh, we've been talking about uh, just giving the, the the very, very minimal amount of updates about you and, and just saying that you were out doing some reporting uh, so maybe you want to just tell listeners just a little bit about you know what well, you what you're, do- what you're doing hurting. today what? what what you're doing now what, what
2: yeah yeah so I'm currently in Syria it's this little country um, in a place called the Middle East um, and interestingly enough I've been here I got here last week. Um, and I've been making my rounds, if you will. Um, and I tweeted, like, I haven't tweeted much about being here, but I tweeted one thing because I just, you know, the, I don't know, Kevin, if you watch Game of Thrones, I do. Um,
0: yeah, I watch Game of then, Thrones.
2: Okay, of course. Because well, you're not, like, a dead person. <laughs> um, and It's not, like, so a requirement
0: the, of being an American citizen, like, you watch Game no, of Thrones. No, but it
2: kind of, it should be a requirement of, like, being alive. Because it's really good. <laughs> The point is, is that this week was the season premiere of Game of Thrones, and it was so good. Oh, my God. But um, so I this happens to coincide with me being in Syria. And interestingly enough, Game of Thrones is, like, a hugely popular show here. Um, Like, really, really, really popular. Like, uh, the other night I was, like, out at a place, and there was music, and the theme song to Game of Thrones played several times. Anyways, the point is, is I went to... Watch Game of Thrones with a group of people um, around my age, like a sort of watch party they had at this bar. And so I tweeted out because, like, they were saying something funny. They were comparing the White Walkers in Game of Thrones, which are like the zombies, right, that threaten civilization south of the wall or whatever. Um, They were comparing the White Walkers to ISIS. They were like, yeah, like, we we relate to the show because we're surrounded by, like, these crazy people who want to eat us, you know. Um, and so I tweeted out, like I'm at a watch party in Damascus for game of thrones. And like, you know, my friends are comparing the white walkers to ISIS and I was just making an observation and I got flooded with just like insanely angry messages of like, how dare they like, 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 and like, just like angry, like the regime is ISIS and just like, you're stupid. You went to Syria. And I'm like, what? It's just the level of, like, anger about just being in Syria from, like, the pro-regime changers is so bizarre, and also, like, the fact that people our age who are like us but just, like, live in Syria compared ISIS to White Walkers, the fact that it makes so many Americans mad is really weird. That's all I I was just gonna—I mean, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but I thought that was really bizarre.
0: Uh, This sounds bizarre, but why don't um, you—something that might be interesting, why do you think it's so popular in Syria?
2: Because I think that it's like there's like an extreme level of violence in the show. And um, it's like there's a lot of escapism here, especially like in the the government areas, especially in Damascus. There's a lot of like anyway, I mean, people watch a lot of TV, like a lot of TV shows that we watch like that. You know, they like binge watch them like we do. And they also like try and go out a lot and enjoy themselves as much as they can because they're surrounded by war. They're surrounded by um, Al Qaeda and ISIS and all these like different like groups that just like they've been fighting the, the country's been at civil war for all these years it's so i mean there's there's this part of damascus called jober that is um that's like uh under the control of nusra which is the al-qaeda branch in syria um and you can actually like where i am right now which is in the old city I you can hear airstrikes and shelling um pretty regularly in the distance it's just a few meters away um and in the area i'm in right now in damascus um there's also like a lot of pubs and bars that people go to. There's a lot of like it's very vibrant nightlife and literally just taking place like two like a, like a like hundred meters away is Al Qaeda, like literally. Um, and that's what it's like a really bizarre juxtaposition. That is what Syria is like. And so my point is to say is that the escapism is like it, Lebanon used to be this way, too. It's just it's when you're at when there's war around you, you just kind of try and enjoy life in the moment as much as possible. Um, and so game of Thrones is just a part of that, um, entertainment that people seek out and sort of like escapism. And also, like I said, people do relate to it in a unique way. They really do. Like, they really do feel like they're surrounded by, by zombies who want to devour them. Um, and like, just, just, you know, just outside of the wall, there are zombies like Al Qaeda and ISIS zombies. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's why. Uh, but it's and it's interesting being here and back here. It's a much more stable than it was. I, last time I was here was in November, um, and things were not great then. And it's much better now. Uh, and um, yeah, life for some people. I mean, people are trying to live as normal as a life as possible. It's kind of amazing when you consider what everyone here has been through. I mean, every person that you meet here has been affected by this war in ways that none of us can possibly imagine, and some in minor ways and some in really severe ways. Like, everyone's lost people or lost their home or had their home destroyed or taken over by armed groups or had their home bombed. Or I mean, it's just the stories go on and on and on, and people, like, have escaped ISIS. Like, I've met people who've escaped ISIS, um, and it's crazy what they've been through. It's insane. And they hate, they absolutely despise and loathe the U.S. so much. They really, they blame, they hate America and they hate Saudi Arabia with like like a deep, deep, deep degree of passion um, that I can't even really express in words because of how, just like how much they despise the American government for everything they've done. I mean, there was one... Syrian hairdresser um I mean, they basically blame the American government for arming these groups that turned out to be like al-qaeda and ISIS and stuff um they blame the U.S. government they blame Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states one one the Syrian hairdresser I spoke to told me um something that was kind of funny but also sad but also I didn't have anything to argue with him I couldn't even argue with it because it was just like a good burn but he was like he was like, um, I hope the Islamic State uh, goes to America and imposes an Islamic State on on the, on the Americans, so they can have a taste of their own medicine. And I was wow. like, oh, I was like, wow. Like, I mean, he was like, I mean, he knows it's not going to happen, but like, it's like he was like, they're pissed. They're really, really pissed off at what America's done. So, um, just something to think about.
0: Well, I don't <laughs> know happen. if uh, if you've <laughs> been able to get the news yet, uh, Rania, because Donald Trump uh, took another step to appeasing Russia in the past couple (laughs) of days. Uh, So uh, because that's really what it's all about, right? Um, So he uh, wondered what you were thinking when you saw that they're going to end the the supposedly going to end the arms program that the CIA CIA was running to arm uh, the Syrian uh, militant actions
2: so a couple things first of all this is interesting um, that so many people are angry about this because obama is actually this the this the, the sort of like slowing down and ending of the arms um push to the rebels that the u.s was arming um started to come to an end during last year i believe under obama he started to like stop the flow of weapons because they were losing Um, Because the rebels, which we, you know, the Al-Qaeda, like literally Al-Qaeda dominated rebels were losing um, very, very badly. Uh, But so that that ended a while ago or started to end a while ago. This is kind of just a continuation of that policy to its um, its logical conclusion, which is to completely cut off that arms flow. But I just think it's amazing the amount of people who are so upset by it. It's like it's like you've got people like whining, like David Axelrod's whining. Um, and complaining, like, we're not going to fund Al Qaeda anymore. Now it's going to help Russia. Like if you're for, first of all, if he, the only way for you to hurt Russia is to arm Al Qaeda, then like, you're on the wrong side. <laughs> like you've like allied with some really fucked up people. Um, second of all, it's like to try and make this a Putin thing. Like it's all about Putin, like Syrians are just your toys or something like, ew, God, the, the level of arrogance from, like, the Democratic Party hacks is so disgusting. Um, it's, it's really incredible, especially since it came from their own leader, Obama. Like, he's the one who started making deals with Putin about this kind of stuff, uh, not, like, Trump, not to defend Trump, I'm just saying. Um, and also, I, I was actually sitting with some off-duty Syrian soldiers when I saw the news, that, that when I saw the article um, about Trump ending this program, and I told them, and they, like, like refused to believe me. They were like, we, Trump, they were like, Trump's a liar. They're just like so cynical. They're so exhausted and tired. They've been fighting a war for like seven years. Um, they're not, you know, it's just, they're tired. It's like they don't get paid the greatest and they just like to move on with their lives. They've all put their lives on hold. Um, it sucks. War fucking sucks. People want it to be over. And so they become extremely cynical and they just like hate America and don't believe that that's going to happen.
0: <laughs> but I understand but, where, you know, the that feeling would be or that that perspective would come from because it would be just easy to announce that it's over and then the cia could still run some kind of a a lower key program but i think the thing that people don't understand is even if in an idealistic sense we're selecting a group that isn't aligned with al-qaeda which i think you could probably say is tremendously difficult to do um Mm -hmm. We still don't know what's happening with these weapons. They get into the hands and then somehow they end up being – these weapons stockpiles get captured by more extreme groups.
2: Right, because that's who like it ultimately ended up um, dominating everywhere, like even groups of the U.S. armed that weren't necessarily Al-Qaeda, just like kind of more, if you will, moderate Islamist groups or whatever – um, we know like those groups repeatedly ended up getting overrun by Al Qaeda, and then Al Qaeda would take the weapons. Or even ISIS, that would happen with ISIS sometimes. Either way, the U.S. policy in Syria has been a complete disaster from beginning to end. Um, the U.S. didn't end up getting its way. Now it has like very little leverage on the ground. And now it's you know Trump is also still playing a really dangerous game in Syria, where he's trying to the U.S. military is basically trying to impose its impose a U.S. presence um, in between like the borders of Syria and Iraq. Um, and it's causing a lot of problems. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. But the point is, is, yeah, like, it's just really insane how all these people, all these liberals, Democrats were just like screeching on Twitter um, about the, you know, the end of the weapons, the CIA covert weapons flow to what are to what we know are Al Qaeda dominated groups, like groups that are basically operating under the umbrella of Al Qaeda like I didn't know, you know, stopping the arms load of Al-Qaeda was was would ever be this controversial, but gee, wow. I guess it is.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh just kind of pause for a moment and on a on a lighter, less despondent note, uh, bring in a comment here. So, I think it was a couple weeks ago, people were able to listen to a best of episode uh, that was put together that had some of our older clips. And also, want to take a moment just to thank people who have become patrons. Uh, there were at least four or five people who I think heard that episode and then maybe uh, decided to increase their support or become new patrons of the show. So, I, we really appreciate that. And then maybe that wasn't a factor and you just uh, found that now you're able to support the show. And if that's the case, we really appreciate that too. Um, so, Mark left this comment, and um, I just thought it would be nice to read here. He, he said, "I'm real. I'm relatively new to your podcast, Kevin. So, I appreciated hearing these clips from shows that I hadn't heard before." <laughs> I was surprised that your interview with Josh Fox wasn't in the top five for this year. That was my favorite, as I think he summed up last year's Democrat catastrophe perfectly. Your interviews with Max Blumenthal and Mark Ames would be tied for my second favorite. And, um, and then he decided to stir the pot again and tell us that he misses our old music, which was quirky. Uh, but, but really, if I have to go back and select another piece of music, I might end up blowing my brains out because <laughs> awesome. uh, it, it's just something i'm not going to go do again uh, so unfortunately the 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 short track that we've selected for the moment as our intro is probably here to stay for another year and then if we find an independent musician who would like to uh, do something for us then that'll probably be the next step but um to mark i mean I'm, i think that's really great that like people who are new to our show Uh, i think that's why i wanted to have that best of show was so that people could um see some hear some of the stuff that we had put up that had done really well and uh i was really pleased with the response to the best of episode
2: yeah that's awesome i'm really excited to hear that i'm really like excited i love the fact that people like the show it's good to hear good feedback and uh You know, the more who become patrons, the better.
0: And the most (laughs) stunning thing from putting together the best of show to me was that, um, our good friend Nima Shirazi had his episode that we did. I think this was like in our first year that we produced the show, the first season, um, his was in the top 5 like people really downloaded that show and and That's and, awesome. and we're talking and and it's actually really significant because like we've gotten a lot of attention in this past year our interviews with Abby and and Max Abby Abby Martin and Max Blumenthal really more games yeah quite a lot of listens and for for that to still be in the top five like that says something and of course we talked about iran and that still remains a real um and open and uh persisting issue that uh it it just kind of is like laying off to the side right now that is just going ignored And, and that's probably to the benefit of iran quite frankly but um uh, but yeah, uh, people really appreciated that episode. So again, that ends our, our little portion here of this uh, really showing appreciation for everyone who listens and, um, and also a couple of people around you were, you know, told you to be safe and we're hoping to hear from you again soon. And so I'm sure everyone hey. who's listening to this part of the show is glad, uh, that you're back. Um,
2: yeah, I'm glad to be back too. I missed it. I really did. Um so I also um I know there's other things to talk about but uh I I went on Twitter like yesterday or a couple days ago maybe I don't know and everybody's talking about John McCain.
0: <laughs> exactly, yes. And you were probably like is he going to die or what's going on? I'm in Syria, I don't really know.
2: Yeah, no, I'm not really sure what's happening. All I know is he tried to destroy Syria. Um anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a uh he's got a brain tumor.
0: Um, it's, uh, I'm gonna, like, totally botch this, but it's, like, global, I don't even, maybe people would just, like, enjoy laughing at the way I'm gonna butcher this. It's, like, global staloma or it's, it's a big brain thing that is, like, really not good, and it's cancerous, and he's going to die, Probably, I mean, most. Oh, it, I think I think that like this is one of those things where you only have like six or seven months when they identify it.
2: Oh, okay, all right then. Um, well, in that case, but, I've been seeing some interesting tweets about what, about what, him.
0: But what was um, important is that there was so so the same thing that he was diagnosed with. Apparently, there was a couple in Arizona. This is what this L.A. Times journalist was tweeting about. That um, they asked John McCain for help when her 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 friend's husband had this diagnosis and is dead now. Asked John McCain for some help when and they were in Arizona, and then um, John McCain basically told them to move. Hmm. And so. Yeah, no,
2: I saw. No, I saw. I saw. It's fucking insane. And, John McCain has said a lot, has done a lot of fucked up shit, but that's got to take the
0: most interesting kind of <laughs> so i mean so i mean it's just hey i i hope that if uh i mean nobody wants to be diagnosed with a tumor or cancer or anything like that but i'd say like it really says something that when that happens and you would think universally people are going to be on your side there's actually like a division of sympathy like people aren't just like oh wow that's really terrible but people are like that's terrible, but also like McCain's done horrible things as a politician.
2: Mm, he has he has done really terrible, horrible things to people that have costed actual lives like
0: and yet uh, you know Democrats are like celebrating how he defended Barack Obama in 2008 during one of his like campaign speeches and
2: uh, yeah, you mean the part where he was basically like, no, he's a good guy, he's not a gross Arab that one.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean basic human decency is 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 celebrated as like I mean things that should just be common in our uh in our world are are celebrated as like unique and extraordinary. That's that's the down word spiral. But that
2: wasn't but what he said was still fucked up. The way he defended Obama was really fucked up and that thing that people are promoting. Right. Like it was really fucked up. He was like the lady was like he's an Arab he's a Muslim and McCain's responsible was no 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 he's not an Arab or a Muslim he's actually a decent guy. Yeah. Like what?
0: Yeah. now anyway. you're suggesting like Arabs couldn't be.
2: Yeah no don't worry, don't worry don't worry don't don't worry he's actually a really decent guy he's totally not a gross Arab or Muslim like that was the context of that. Um. Anyways whatever I'm not gonna sit here and like celebrate someone having cancer because then I'm gonna end up getting it and be I'm gonna be really pissed off if I do.
0: Well, <laughs> but, well and that's not what I that's what I mean to do I think like generally I'm. The, if there's no, no, a-
2: I'm just basically talking about if there's karmic justice. I don't want to be like fucked if I'm like, yay, he you, know, you got cancer, but I'll I'll say it the one way that you know, um, my friend, or our good friend Dan Cohen, tweeted. He tweeted, um, "This may be one of those rare instances where cancer actually saves lives."
0: Yeah, and um, uh, there's no, re- there's probably no repeal of Obamacare because John McCain had this diagnosis.
2: Yeah, so, like, yeah, they're going to be kind of, like, not able to move forward with that. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying.
0: Um, I and, mean, and, I, I mean, know, I'm not going to say yay or nay, but, like, hey, that's fact. In the chain of events, that's what happened. Um, I mean,
2: this guy has never seen a country that he was has not wanted to completely, like, bomb and destroy. Um, so, I'm just saying. I'm just saying there's one, know, he'll be so busy that there's one less person To go on Face the Nation and meet the press on Sundays and screech and scream like about how we need to, you know, destroy Syria or Iraq or Libya or Venezuela or whatever other country John McCain or his people are interested in, um, you know, collapsing next. (laughs)
0: Lindsey Graham's just going to take McCain's appearances now.
2: Yeah, Lindsey Graham is (laughs) going to have to like do coke or he's going to start doing coke. To try and keep up, because like now, because you know they both both of them are just kind of these two like screechers. You know, you get one and then you get the next one, and now Lindsey Graham's gonna have to fill both slots. That's not gonna be easy for him.
0: I mean, it's not. (laughs) It's not like the slot opens and then oh, we're gonna get like other voices that aren't John McCain and maybe they're slightly better. It's like no, the media's gonna fill that void with their own awful people.
2: Oh, totally, totally. But I mean, will they be as effective as John McCain? Because I gotta give the guy credit. I mean. Do you remember a few years ago, he went to Syria with, like, some FSA people who ended up being really bad guys, (laughs) we later found out. But, like, he, like, you know, you got to give the guy credit. He's this old dude who just, like, went into, like, Islamist, you know, (laughs) territory that, like, a year later was kidnapping journalists, you know, and put his foot over that Turkish border. Who's going to do that now? What politician is going to do that? Who is going to be as brave as our dear leader John McCain? (laughs) Really, he's irreplaceable. What do you think about it?
0: (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Okay. So, um, so yeah, that's been happening. Um, We haven't really talked about. uh, Let's let's bring in. I don't want to. I don't know how long we can go on this, but. It seems like we should touch the issue of um, how people are responding to Venezuela and and some of what you've been uh, following. And I know that you had a visceral reaction and it's been this thing that's been an undercurrent for the last month here uh, in the left in the United States of like, where are people and why aren't they responding to this? And we did a show with Abby, Martin and... Mike Prisner about uh, their trip, the reporting trip, and they went down there and they produced the show for Empire Files. Um, I shared, we, uh, we, we shared with our account uh, the video that they produced, the segment that they did on their trip. Um, but like here in, in the US, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you followed this, Rania, but in the last uh, week, um, I, I actually live above a bakery. Um, that had Venezuelans or people who were uh, Latino going in to do like a referendum. This, this, this like sort of performative opposition against Nicolas Maduro. They were going into the bakery and voting uh, against his rewrite of the constitution and like submitting their like yay or nay votes for whether they supported it. Of course, Almost unanimously, all of them are going to vote no against rewriting the Constitution. And like all these people who don't even live in Venezuela are like imposing their will on Venezuela, which I'm sure Maduro is just shrugging off and being like, I'm not going to listen to you people.
2: Yeah. um, So I am really disappointed in the left in general because they like you said, like there's like a like a complete disinterest. I actually blame to a large degree. And I don't say this, like, um, like I, I, I don't, I really, I really, really like, I'm not saying this to be mean or because I hate them all or anything, but I really do blame outlets like Jacobin and democracy now and the DSA, um, and and ISO and these sort of like left Vanguard groups or whatever, and media outlets because of the way they're portraying the crisis. Um, it seems to me, like, I got really pissed off, you know, you might remember a week or two ago, Kevin, Jacobin was publishing these awful pieces, these awful takes on Venezuela, just basically at a time when the, like, the whole, like, the government of Venezuela is being, is under attack by U.S.-backed fascists and right-wingers, at a time like this, to be publishing articles that are going after, like, this, like the, the socialists, like, The third world socialists that aren't pure enough for you as like a Western, you know, as like as like the fucking North American, like like, you know, (laughs) to be going after the socialists in Venezuela at a time like this. It's fine to be critical of them, but to be writing like hit pieces on them and then throwing your hands up and saying there's no good side is insane, is absolutely insane. Are
0: you there? No, I'm there. Oh, I'm sorry. I, no, I I lost you. No, you didn't lose me. I, I, I think it's completely fucking insane because... And the other thing is, like, what this does is it exaggerates and reinforces the opposition in mm-hmm. Venezuela. and And I don't mean that, like, oh, people on the left who are criticizing then get lumped in with the uh right wing as much as i mean that like you're lending this you're you're fueling this idea that the opposition in venezuela is bigger than what we learned when we were talking to mike and abby which is that actually when you're on the ground in Venezuela, you find that the, the left and you find that the, the, the poor and working class and the people in like the barrios actually have pretty good, stable control over their communities. It's these urban centers that have become arenas of warfare, basically, where there are these like guerrilla activists uh, throwing firebombs and all kinds of shit that that's what's creating the destabilization.
2: Yeah. And on top of that, it like you're basically reinforcing the State Department narrative. Um, and when you when you equate the Venezuelan government with the right way, the U.S. backed, like right wing thuggery that we're like witnessing, when you equate them with that, you really you you offer credence to the narrative that which is a bullshit narrative that that Venezuela is like a dictatorship, um, that Venezuela is like extremely horrifically repressive dictatorship, It's no better than fascists because there's a lot at stake here like you collapse that government and you hand it over to the right wing fascists the right wing oligarchs you know how many poor people are going to die like do you know how many workers are going to like die do you have any idea like it's like there's no concern about the stakes whatsoever and given the history of latin america especially venezuela There should be more concern. But instead, all these people want to do, all these privileged ass fucks, excuse my language, want to do in North America is sit back and and like virtue signal and, you know, morally posture about how they're too good for the Venezuelan government. And these are the same people oftentimes, by the way, who are perfectly fine with backing democratic socialists in America like Bernie Sanders. Then they will go after you if you don't, if you like criticize Bernie Sanders. I love Bernie Sanders. I still do, despite his many, many flaws. Um, that said, like you're willing to give a pass to all of his foreign policy failures or his lack of pure socialism, meanwhile the Venezuelan, the socialists in Venezuela, like aren't good enough for you. Like you're gonna sit there and act like you're so much better than the third world socialists. Who've accomplished a thousand times more for their people than you've managed to do in the in the us like give me a break the level of arrogance from the Western left sometimes just like makes me want to pull my hair out <laughs> it really does
0: Well but I just want them that. to understand that Donald Trump is a counter subversive president and he sees and his entire administration. Uh, Because let's talk about the reality now. I mean, Obama doesn't get a pass for the policy towards Venezuela, but we live in this Trump reality um, Mm -hmm. that that we're trapped in, that you're temporarily slightly able to escape from being in Syria. But uh, Mm -hmm. just the fact that he sees what's going on in South America, they see, and we got to look at this in the way that they do, like take the Breitbart.com mentality, you know, Mm -hmm. the fact that donald trump in his ear is hearing steve bannon probably weave the most insane fucked up conspiracy (laughs) theories about what the left is trying to do in south america and what's going to happen if you let those people (laughs) remain in control like that's where we have to go you have to have that paranoid sensibility that is that has to be considered and you know it People are, look at Brazil, like with Temer, I mean the right wing taking out Dilma Rousseff and um, even though there are some crooked things that uh, uh, that Lula was doing, um, I mean he's probably, he's going to go to jail for like 10 years for doing stuff that I'm sure is nothing compared to whatever Temer's government is doing in Brazil, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's like that. It, the people who are on the left in Brazil see that as, like, this right-wing assault on what they're trying to do, the sort of world they're trying to create in their country, and they believe that the U.S. has has given at least subtle, if not brazen support to Temer, reinforcing and making it possible for him to engineer kind of coup in Brazil. You know, what other countries are we going to see this happen in in South America and so not standing up you know i'm not i'm not trying to like make the kind of like anti-communist argument of like you let one domino fall then the other dominoes start falling but it does seem that we need to have this idea and sense that We could return to the kind of like dirty wars that we had of the 1980s that sort of sense where, you know, you had like Ronald Reagan constantly going after and then even in the 70s with like Henry Kissinger and the way that right wingers were bolstered with like Pinochet in Chile and and other places that that is where the Trump agenda is going to the extent that they're going to pay any sort of attention to South America.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what's the Western left doing, Kevin? Can you tell me what the Western left is doing? Just real I don't quick know. after everything you just explained.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, well, and I also would say that, like, I wouldn't let... No, like, it's important the work that is done, but I wouldn't just let the Oliver Stone wing of outspoken political people be the only ones who speak up for South America. Like, we need a little bit more to this, you know? Let's not just... Because, like, that's going to go to... There's a
2: complete... There's a complete... Kevin, like, this goes deeper than just South America. There is a complete lack of concern from the, like, American left about anything happening outside of America. Anything. That America is responsible outside of the country. A complete lack of concern. Now, look, I'm understanding of the prioritizing of domestic stuff. I really am. But this complete, like... Just like dropping the ball and not giving a shit about what's happening in other parts of the world is like it's unacceptable. And I'm sorry, like it really does just demonstrate like how A, how weak the left is, and B how how much it's just been like hijacked and taken over by really shitty ideologies. And I'm just being mean now and cynical. I'm sorry. This is this comes from me just spending too much time in the Middle East, but you know, what can I say?
0: Well it's hard for me to to disagree with you when I don't have anything to refute it with. I mean, it's it's there's proof out there that the focus right now is just on things like pushing single payer health care, which is important, pushing for living wages in the United States, which is important, um, maybe working on Making sure that people don't get laid off at factories, important. Uh, union rights, mm-hmm. workers' rights, all important. Fighting to make sure that deportations against immigrants in the United States um, are, are, are not being allowed without a challenge from communities. Fighting to keep people, fighting to keep dreamers here in the U.S., um, young people who were told they were going to have some level of protection to live in the U.S., but now are finding that they're at risk and being... Uh, sent back to where they came from or where they uh, where they fled many of them fled Um, so those are important critical issues Um, police brutality um, black lives matter things that are are central to that movement those are important but at the same time it's what you say is is people should spend some time thinking about and i think people who are our listeners I'd encourage comments on this of like why that focus seems to be so pronounced that people maybe aren't as knowledgeable about foreign policy issues as they should be. And when it comes time for them to weigh in on these things like Venezuela, on Russia – on Syria then they revert to then they then they revert to like the establishment line because they just don't really know they need to spend some more time with this but they also seem to have like this ideological reflexiveness against um siding with some of the positions that we talk about here on the show
2: yeah like I agree with that that's a really good way to put it and maybe that is the fault of sort of like the um the like Like the left, sort of progressive media taking the reflexive, like establishment line on these issues suddenly because of the Russia stuff, the Syria stuff. But I mean, Friend, take aside, forget for a second, like, let's pretend Venezuela, Russia, Syria is not happening. Like, where's the campaign for Yemen, Kevin? Like, true. Like, we caused a famine there. Like, it's just, it's stunning. Like, no one gives a shit. Like, Like, this is stuff that America's doing to other countries in the world, and there's not even, like, there's a barely, there's barely any sort of effort to, like, bring attention to it. Like, I don't understand. I really don't, especially now that Trump is president. Like, I thought it was bad under Obama how a lot of these kinds of things got neglected because of the sort of reflexive support for, like, when a Democrat's in office. But now you have a right-winger in office. You have a Republican in office. And still, still— like, this this sort of, like, complete neglect of the rest of the world is still taking place. And, yeah, I agree. Like, I really, like, I would love to hear from other people who are listening, like, what they think about this kind of stuff is, like, you know, like, what, it, well, what they think the reason might be that this is an important... One thing I did notice is that now that the Democrats are, and the Republicans, but the Democrats as well, are moving to, like, severely criminalize like, people who support uh, boycott, divestment, and sanction of Israel... Uh, the DSA is now planning to like vote on it on whether to support BDS, and I'm like, well, wait a wait to like, until like it's you know about to be criminalized and and is like honestly at this point like BDS is really important, but given everything that's taken place, um, first up dealing with the Middle East the past several years, it's like. It's like, is this how it's going to be? It's going to take, like, something being criminalized for you to care about a foreign policy issue? Like, BDS has been in the works for a long time. Why are we just now voting on it in DSA? You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Anyways. Well, and
0: then the other Um, thing is we spent a lot of time talking about Barack Obama and his use of drones, and that was, like, a very um, prevalent thing that uh, maybe the left didn't spend a whole lot of time on, but I did see a lot of discussions about, and that's slinked into the background and you don't really uh, see too much about Donald Trump having that apparatus. And it maybe it's true that, like, there's not—I mean, I, there isn't a drone strike reported every other day that seemed to be going on with Barack Obama. But um, at the same time, there's all this structure, which we've talked about on our show, that Trump has at his fingertips and— um I mean, it's just incredible. And also, uh, I I feel like there are there are things definitely outside the border that that deserve our attention, Um, especially when we're like talking about like climate change issues and everything and it impacting the world. I mean... Iran Kevin, gets-
2: it, but, but forget like forget like climate change is so important, but it's so abstract. I mean like things that are totally tangible that the US is a thousand percent implicated in. And when I mentioned Yemen and the famine, like people have become sort of so um, so like numb to that. I mean, they're, they're, people are getting cholera because there is actual feces in their water because yeah. of what the US has done to Yemen. Like, imagine that. Imagine, like, imagine that. Like, imagine there's no food, your children are starving, and then you're, you're maybe going to die because you drank dirty water that got, had poop in it. Literally. That's how bad Yemen is. And it's because of America. And nobody is saying shit about it. Like, no one. I mean, people in Yemen, like, can you imagine, like, being, like, people in a country? Like, imagine if you were Yemeni and you were in Yemen right now and your children were, your children were starving to death like you can't do anything about it because the us and saudi arabia and it's your, their allies in the region are enforcing a disgusting blockade on you like so you can't get food and you can't get medicine and like no one gives a shit like no one gives a shit there's not what like nobody's like like except for maybe a couple like anti-war organizations that like have barely any voice in the us no one gives a shit can you imagine like that's the world we're in right now where there's not even a slight like there's not even a cry a, a little bit of a cry from the left in the US to focus on this issue. It's shocking. Like it really is shocking.
0: So just to remind people that there was this quick moment where it looked like there could be some action in stopping uh uh an arms deal with Saudi Arabia and and challenging the flow of arms that are being used to bomb Yemen and into- uh utter oblivion it would seem and and <laughs> there was like only one group that i can really name that i know of maybe they were, right? yeah and there are like maybe one or two other uh like handfuls of activists that maybe had st- stepped forward to try to but like they were actually going into congressional offices and doing education and like forcing these senators into a point where like they couldn't deny knowing the truth of what's going on in Yemen, and you had people like, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Murphy um, who were stepping forward to say some pretty good things about the need to block this arms deal. And I just you know they, that's a moment that could be something important where it you, could. we did bipartisan effort. Where we didn't see anything much from our side.
2: No, because again, like this stuff is of no concern. I mean, look, if you gonna if you want to pass like single payer healthcare, you gotta connect the dots about where money's getting spent, and money's getting spent on destroying other countries. You guys, like, you can't keep neglecting that. I'm not saying you, the listener, like you're doing it. I'm, yes, I am. I'm talking to you, the listener. It's all <laughs>
0: your fault. I'm doing <laughs> it to do listeners. That. It's not just your fault. Runny's <laughs> runny's yeah, yelling any, at me.
2: Yeah, I'm like I'm talking like I'm all high and mighty just because I'm like outside of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I don't count as an American anymore. <laughs> but, she, what no, Rania I mean, is
0: saying is she wants us to fix every problem before she comes back to the United States.
2: Yeah, if I go back to the United States and there's still shit going on, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose <laughs> it big. <laughs> You're not gonna want to see me when I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> no, but no, it's just um, it's like the, the reason I'm picking a point of Yemen is just to note like the you know just. The, uh, the like, lack of concern about like, some people who are like, suffering to a degree that none of us could ever possibly imagine. It's completely man-made, and it's like not even on the agenda. You know what I mean? It's like The fact that it's being led, like Code Pink is doing good work on it, and then you actually have like, people in Congress and the Senate, of all people, who are actually like leading the charge. It's like that shit should be coming from like, people behind them. You know? That should be coming from people on the ground. That should be coming from people who are organizing on the left. Um, And I mean, I'm not saying if you're look, if you're organizing around single payer health care, health care. Fantastic. I'm not saying quit what you're doing and go organize for Yemen. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about a broader culture on the American left that is dismissive and neglectful of these kinds of things. Um, And I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how you fix that. And I'm not sure what happened because, you know, I feel like two, three years ago, even even like last year, I feel like this kind of stuff did have a little bit more of a priority than it does now and now it feels like it's completely gone off the agenda completely you know what i mean and i'm not really sure why
0: but this um, so is um really there it was something that we've talked about uh, where is this anti-war organizing that has actually been a part of the left for the past four or five decades and you go back to the 1970s with people who are marching on the Pentagon and you had groups that were able to do direct action and turn out um, millions of people, it would seem, or at least a hundred, a 1, thousand or so people to events and actions. And uh, there was a fair amount of uh, resistance to Ronald Reagan policies and the dirty wars in Central America And uh, then uh, then in 2003, uh, the most massive worldwide global action against the push to invade Iraq when President Mm -hmm. uh, George W. Bush was in office, uh, which gave way towards this sort of ritual that the anti-war movement had of doing these anniversary marches around Iraq. And you had some groups that would do marches when it was the anniversary of the Afghanistan war. But we're now, you know... More than 15 years, this Afghanistan war has gone on. Groups don't even have anniversary <laughs> marches about the war in Afghanistan I don't even Afghanistan think they even. I don't,
2: think they, I don't, I don't even think a war in Afghanistan is on anyone's like, like agenda or anyone's even in anyone's mind. Like everyone just kind of forgot we that we we're like occupying Afghanistan. And
0: it's entering <laughs> new leg. It's got a new leg, um, and and so the people aren't really organizing Iraq. Troops started to be withdrawn from Iraq. Uh, This was before ISIS completely took over and started to um, just dominate all the conversation around Iraq. Um, And uh, and then after the troops were withdrawn, the anti-war left sort of just like faded into the background and just kind of has not been doing anything towards Iraq when it comes to... War there, and so you've got an institutionalization of these wars in these different countries. Like Somalia has um, has military act, action happening. Uh, Pakistan, there were there were drones being dropped. You have Syria. Um, there's our our fingerprints are on Yemen. There's Syria, and all these places. There's just nothing cohesive that. Uh, with people coming together and challenging this and it's just very new and alarming because i don't think if you look at the last half century in the u.s if there's ever been this much of an absence when it comes to people like challenging it's just if you look at history it's so it's to me it seems like people have just become entirely cynical and jaded and accepted that this is going to be a fabric like a part of the fabric of u.s empire that like these wars aren't going to go away and they're they're sort of not doing anything to challenge them
2: but like it's like the thing is like an anti being an anti like anti-imperialism has like you said it's like always it's supposed to be a huge part of being on the left is like the anti-imperialist sort of framework right um and now because of like the whole syria thing and the sort of hijacking of the left by like like at like groups like the ISO you know and in in their sort of ideological framing of international politics and foreign policy um it's like anti-imperialist is a bad word now
0: <laughs> but i just <laughs> you got to emphasize it's not any worse or better than it was back in the 60s when the 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 sort of new left that gets uh, reverential treatment was taking stands You know, so back then they were challenging uh, CIA operations and also uh, provocations in you know maybe like Guatemala or Brazil or Chile um, or Vietnam that that major um, resistance to the Vietnam War. Uh, But you know, fast forward now we have just as many countries we can list off as we've done on this pro on this on this episode, and so. Uh, there isn't any reason why the left gets a pass for being MIA. It's not like this has reached some sort of like apex, this huge mountaintop where there's no like over. It's so overwhelming. What can we do? It's actually pretty constant in terms of like the the warfare has uh, still yeah. remained. And and so back then people were willing to resist. But like why? Then that's the question that people should really consider. I think we can't really answer it. But why nobody? doing it now
2: you know and i there's actually yeah, that's a really that's a really good point and uh, well, the last thing i'll say about this is i did see um this covered only in Ways. This is the only place i saw cover this May, i might have missed other places but there was a study done on um and i don't have the specifics in front of me so i apologize for being so vague but there was a study done on the um election between donald trump and hillary clinton and the areas trump won and how the areas trump won um, are also areas where a lot of the people who do end up fighting wars happen to live. Like there's a like a really large concentration of like the military veterans um, who end up having to like, you know, uh, go off and do whatever John McCain and Lindsey Graham, like decide that they have to do. <laughs> and, uh, and there's also like a um, sort of like exhaustion and, and like just fatigue from the wars that they're having to like, you know, all the burden goes on these sort of poor rural communities, because um, that's where soldiers typically come from. Um, and that liberals and Democrats are really now like the sort of elites in, in the, you know, on the East Coast um, and both the Republican and Democratic Party are sort of seen as not caring about those groups of people. And that that did play not the only role, but it does play a role in the sort of like support for a Trump-like figure just wanting to break the system, along with other reasons, too, that we're more familiar with. Well, that's um,
0: virtue. Anyways, well, I, I, we need to wrap the show, but I, I want to say something yeah. to what you just said. Uh, so that's virtue-mongering because they don't want to... Parts of the left, there are, there are, there are individuals who have very strong views about not engaging people who are isolationists and would say mm-hmm. that we need to no longer be involved in intervention, who would have the ideas that are very popularly expressed by Rand Paul, for example, or Ron Paul, mm-hmm. for example, of that we just need to stop doing this. It's just making it worse because I, I get that. That's an Amerocentric uh way of expressing opposition to war however the fact that you're writing off those people because you feel you're too virtuous to engage them (laughs) we're losing those people they could be involved in building anti-war opposition which left or right would result in the same outcome you know like if whether it's ideologically coming from the right wing or whether it's ideologically coming from the left wing a movement that was against war that challenged was being done by the U.S. government would have the same outcome.
2: Yeah, no, and you know, I would say that a lot, the last thing I'll say on this, and I we we do need to wrap, um, is that the, the sort of Jacobin types are constantly saying how we have to engage those same groups of people on issues like single-payer health care and raising the minimum wage. Like, just because they're all right, you know, you have to engage them on those things because it might be able to pull them away from the alt-right. The same goes to the war stuff. The same goes for the for the anti-war sentiment, regardless of what intention it's coming from. So I'll leave it at that. And and on that in that mm-hmm. note, I do have to get running. I think that's a good that, place. to a
0: war zone. <laughs> it's a good place to end. So we're glad we were able to get you for an episode. Uh, people who are listening, we prom- we promise an episode next week. Um, and so thanks everyone for supporting the show, and we'll talk to you all later.